Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Wealth Journal with me, Jay Hardy. And first of all, I want to kick this off by saying a huge thank you to everyone who has listened to episodes one and two. Um, the reaction has been overwhelming, to be fair, which is um, yeah, pretty surprising. So really appreciate everyone who's shared the podcast, who's given me a rating, a review, etc. That that really helps. And I've also had some fantastic suggestions on how to improve the podcast going forward. So massively appreciate that. And I can only ask that you continue to to um, to do the same. So yeah, much, much appreciated. And yeah, if it helps, if it helps improve the podcast, it helps me, um, you know, spread the message of financial wellness and hopefully improve people's lives from a financial point of view. And of course, improve my own knowledge of the subject. Then that is great. That's what I want to do. So yeah, hugely, hugely appreciated. I think over the last few sort of few episodes I've had over a hundred people listen which is um yeah amazing amazing not up there with some of the biggest podcasts in the world but we've all got to start somewhere and yeah I guess the the message is a positive one I just want to continue to to just try and learn and, and educate the best I can as well and hopefully help people help people understand these subjects um a bit easier a bit easier so yeah thank you Thank you very much. So let's jump straight in with episode three. And of course, I always start each episode with the disclaimer that this is not financial advice. This podcast is purely here for educational and entertainment purposes. So let's kick off. Point one in my wealth journal this week is starting with my view on debt. Now, I talked about debt in the previous episode of the podcast when we um, discussed the book The Richest Man in Babylon and it was Arkad's I guess suggestion on how you should spend your money and he suggested that you should portion 20% of your wage to repaying debt. Now life isn't sort of as black and white as that these days. A lot of us have a variety of different forms of debt but for me really the way I approach debt is to focus on repaying the debt of the highest level of interest. Really, I'm probably going to try and focus on getting rid of that as quickly as possible. Now, the low interest debt, which would, for me would be student loan, fairly low interest, my mortgage, fairly low interest. And by low interest, I'm thinking anything sort of around and below that inflation level, currently around 3%. So anything between 0 and 3%, I'm thinking is fairly low interest. So I'm happy just to let that tick along and just try and pay it off. As long as I'm paying it down, I'm fairly comfortable. Debt where I'm a little bit cagey between 3 and 6%. So good example is maybe a car financing agreement that you've got. They tend to be around about that mark, maybe even a little bit higher. And they're the ones that, okay, it's maybe going to be three, four years. You can see how that's going to play out over the next few years. So yeah, most people finance cars these days. So Maybe maybe you're happy to let that one slide. Anything above that, and we're talking in the in the realms of credit card debt, short term financing. Pay that shit off. Get rid of it, because when you look at investing, and when we've talked about the annual returns of say the stock market, the S and P five hundred, for example, that delivers you know historically around about twelve to thirteen percent returns. If you're <laughs> 
if you're um, paying that sort of percentage in interest and maybe even higher, then there's no point in saving money and putting money towards investing when you've got debt coming out at a higher rate. Get that paid off as quickly as possible, then focus on investing. Now, there's other stuff that I'd like to pay off maybe that has more of an emotional side of things. So, yeah, for me, my student loan is fairly emotive, as in I just feel like I've been paying it off for so long. You know, it just disappears out of my salary. If I've had any bonuses in the past, they just take it. It feels like it takes you know a huge chunk of my wage out. So I've got like that emotional connection to my student loan where I almost just want to get rid of it. Although it's low interest, I feel like I want to get rid of it. So thankfully, I got the letter through a few months back now, basically saying that I'm within 12 months of paying my student loan off. So I decided to set up the direct debit, up the payments a little bit and just try and try and pay it off. My plan once that's paid off is then to start utilizing that cash towards growing my wealth. And as we discussed in the previous podcast, any extra money that I can now free up from previous debt repayments, I can start putting to use from an investment point of view. And really, that doesn't affect my life. Once my student loan is paid off, I'll have that extra cash. Okay, yeah, I can choose to spend that cash, maybe join a more expensive gym, buy a more expensive car. Or I can keep my life the same and invest more. Another one is mortgage. Now, a lot of people have an emotional connection to the mortgage. Imagine if you could live mortgage-free. That'd be incredible. That'd be so, I mean, it'd be amazing. And the mortgage is a debt that feels like it burdens you for your entire life, especially these days. I mean, when I think about my parents, most people tend to take mortgages out over you know, 25 years, whereas now, nowadays, people stretch that to, uh, you know, 40, 45 years, huge amount of time. So a lot of people have that emotional connection to paying off their mortgage. And I can understand it. I can understand it. If you, you know, if it's within sight and you can pay it off, then great. For me, it's not really within sight. And the interest rate these days is, is pretty low. And I do think that at the moment, let's say my student loan was freed up and I could then start paying more off my mortgage. My mortgage rate is, at the moment is fairly low. And what I think I could potentially earn on an interest from an investment over the course of maybe the next 20 years is probably a lot higher. So by doing just some rough mathematics, I feel that investing that cash rather than paying off the mortgage, and you could argue that I technically I'm paying off the mortgage. If I'm putting that money to one side, investing it, with the view in maybe 20 years, I could then potentially use that cash to pay off whatever I've got left of the mortgage. I'm basically doing the same thing. I just feel like I can probably get a better return for my money by investing it in in indexes, in stocks, etc., investing it in myself, than just con- you know just paying off extra of the mortgage. So that's where my head's at at the moment. So to summarize, pay off all that high debt as quickly as possible. If it's low interest and you're fairly comfortable with it, then fine, just let it roll. And that middle ground, that car financing, things like that, you know, only you can answer that question. But yeah, one thing that I don't know if I'm 100% settled on at the moment is these buy now, pay later services. So Klarna is a good example. I've been using Klarna a few times and it's a great service, incredibly, incredibly good service. I've been able to buy things and just, I guess, gradually gradually pay for them over the course of maybe three months. So I'm not having that initial hit out of my salary. The product arrives, I can sort of, you know, use it or whatever. 
and then over the course of three months pay it off in in three three installments rather than paying it off in one, all in one go they also have the service where you can literally buy now and pay later so the problem is with a lot of online shopping is that when you buy a product it instantly goes out of your bank account before the product even even arrives at your doorstep it then arrives you try it on it doesn't fit you've got to send it back and all this point they've had your money whereas clan operates in a in the reverse of that where you you choose to buy something you get it delivered but at this point you've not paid for it try it all on etc and then you only pay for it sort of you know in this case maybe a few days later once you're happy with it by that point you could have just returned it and nothing's nothing's ever gone out of your bank account so i think that's really good but then spreading the payments over three months now on expensive items i think that's okay but i actually bought a few bits from zara on there and after three months of paying like 30 pound a month just for some clothes i was almost just like oh am i still paying for these clothes that i've now been wearing for three months so yeah i don't know in some ways i think i would have preferred just to have bought them straight away and paid them off so yeah i'm not 100 percent sure on how i feel about that but happy to be convinced otherwise you know i think it's you know obviously a really useful service and probably the future of um of payment methods going forward the next point i've got in my wealth journal i guess this is bit more of a personal one but i've just written here marathon training so i've been training for the marathon when i say the marathon i mean the manchester marathon obviously the only marathon in my opinion being from manchester but yeah marathon training the reason for this is that basically i'd set up a training plan in order to get me from running basically 5k's to then running a marathon and as i reviewed the training plan and as i've gone through it i just realized that it's very similar to building wealth I started out with a goal of 26.2 miles and over the course of these last few weeks I've gone from running 5k to running 26.2 miles and it's almost like my training similar to where you build wealth has just sort of compounded as each week's gone by and the miles have just grown and grown and grown to the point that 5k has gone to 26.2 miles and really what's led me to that point and I'm not trying to say I'm anything special here, you know, lots of people have run marathons. But what's led me to that point is the, the consistency of just continuing to put in the miles, continuing to put in the work to get myself ready for the marathon. And just allowing the daily, weekly efforts to compound over time to result in me running a marathon. And that's very similar to wealth. That's your sort of monthly efforts of putting money to one side to grow your wealth and allowing that to just build, compound over time to the point where after, you know, let's face it, probably a few years, you'll have a significant pot of wealth. That's how pensions work. This podcast is a bit, hopefully accelerating that process. It's all about consistency and compounding. I'm probably going to go into compounding a little bit a little bit deeper, maybe in the next episode. We'll wait and see for that one. Okay, so second to last point here in my wealth journal for the week is Robert Kiyosaki, the rich dad, poor dad man himself. So Robert Kiyosaki, he wrote the one of the most popular personal finance books of all time. And I actually thought about doing an entire episode on The Rich Dad Poor Dad, and maybe I will do that in the future, but who knows. But this is a book that I've already referenced, I think, at the beginning of um, the beginning of the podcast, episode one. 
but he actually he was actually in the news um recently robert kiyosaki so he's the man who did this rich dad poor dad book he's then since set up his own rich dad company where he does a lot of content he's actually got his own podcast maybe one day we'll get him on the wealth journal who knows um he's created a board game he's apparently he's worth over 100 million these days which obviously is quite a lot of money and he sort of yeah shook up the world of personal finance with some of his teachings anyway because he was in the news a lot I'd cover some of his some of his some of his content because actually when I read his book and in prepping for this podcast I was flicking through it again this week there was there was there was one section really that massively stood out for me that I wanted to share with you today and I guess this is really one of the key differences between how the rich grow their wealth versus the the poor middle class as he puts it and it's about understanding basic accounting principles it's about understanding your own personal balance sheet and income statement now now to understand your own personal balance sheet you've got to understand the difference between an asset and a liability now these terms are pretty much day one in accountancy but not many people study accountancy because it's boring but when it comes to life and finance it's pretty essential and that was one of the things that he wanted to highlight to people and you don't need to have a a huge grasp of the subject to really understand it and how it works so what I'm going to do is just going to take you through probably the most fundamental part of that book that I took so first of all let's cover the difference between an asset and a liability I think of it like this let's think about football if you're a manager of a team you would want a team full of assets rather than liabilities. Assets of a football team, they help you score goals, they help you win games, they help you essentially put points on the board. So if you think about maybe Manchester United, you've got fantastic players like Cristiano Ronaldo, Paul Pogba, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford. They've got some great defenders now. The goalkeeper, it makes some amazing saves. These are assets of the team. And over the course of the season, the assets are gonna they're gonna score goals. They're gonna prevent the other team from scoring. They're gonna help you get points on the board. So you want plenty of assets in your team. From a football point of view, you pretty much want a team full of assets. You don't want any liabilities on that team. If I was to look at Arsenal, for example, over the years, yeah, they've got a few assets. They've got a few good strikers. They've had Aubameyang, a couple of decent midfielders, but then they've also had some liabilities. Granite Xhaka, he's probably going to get three or four red cards a season. David Luiz, he always used to make mistakes. These are liabilities. These are the people that you don't want in your team. And if you've got a team with liabilities, then they're more likely to actually take points away, prevent you from scoring points on the board, and prevent you from finishing higher up the table. And this can be applied to your personal circumstances, your your own financing. So let's think about your own balance sheet because this is where fundamentally the difference is between rich and poor because the rich focus on building a team full of assets they focus on building their own personal balance sheets and buying assets everybody else so the poor and middle class focus on buying liabilities and think of it this way we buy houses but we don't buy houses to invest in we buy them to live in and this was one of the key 
one of the key parts of Robert Kiyosaki's concept was that the house that you live in cannot be classed as an asset because it doesn't put money in your pocket. It actually takes money out of your pocket. And I sort of agree with that. Each month, you've got to pay the mortgage on that house because you're living there. You've got to pay the bills. You've got to pay the council tax. You've got to pay the heating, all that jazz. So that, that house that you own, that you believe is an asset, because we're all told that houses are assets, is actually taking money out of your pocket each month. It's a liability. Well, yeah, but my house is worth this now. Well, that's fine. But it's not putting any money in your pocket. Each month it's continuing to take out. And you can only realize that gains from your house is when you sell it. But then guess what? You need another house. So I agree with him on that point. Having a house that you live in is not an asset. In many ways, it's a liability. Other liabilities, again, cars. Owning a car, it's a liability. It's not an asset. They tend not to go up in value unless you've got maybe an old car. Obviously, so then you're paying, you know, you've got to pay the car off. You're then going to put fuel in the car, insurance, tax, MOT, all that stuff. It's a liability. Consumer loans, anything you buy on a credit card, maybe paying a sofa off for four years, whatever it is, a liability. Kids, liabilities, cost a fortune. I'm joking. I'm not allowed to put kids down as liabilities, but... (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm joking. They're assets. They're definitely assets. And one thing I will say is that if you can invest in your children, you definitely should. Student loan, liability. Any sort of large loan like that, liability. And these liabilities contribute to your expenses. Now, from an asset point of view, this is where the poor and the middle class fall down because we don't have any assets. We don't buy assets. We use our wages to buy liabilities. We buy all them things that we think we need. We're not buying any assets. A few people have got pensions, but our asset columns are pretty much empty. So what the rich do when they earn money, they use that money to buy assets. So what are assets? A house that you don't live in is an asset because you can rent it out and then you can earn passive income. Stocks and shares, they're assets. You can earn income from stocks and shares. Gold, silver, commodities... Their assets. Art, a business, cryptocurrency. These are all assets that you can buy. So really, if you want to look to build your wealth, you need to focus on building your assets. Start buying assets and put them in your asset column. And you'll be surprised that over time, how that column will grow. And there might be some assets that you're really comfortable with buying that you know more about. And they're the ones that you can focus on. And for me, that was that was massive. That was massive understanding that. Because then what the rich do, and this all focuses on your own personal income state, um, your own income s- statement. So you've got your balance sheet, which is your list of your assets and your liabilities. And most most people will have no assets and lots of liabilities, the majority. Rich people will have lots of assets and very few liabilities. So that's your personal balance sheet. You then have your own personal income statement. So this is the relationship between your income and your expenses. So for most people, their income, their primary income is their job, their salary. So that comes in and then your expenses go out. And then hopefully by the end of the month, you have a little bit left over. But more often than not, and this was probably my problem a few years ago, you don't have anything left over. Your expenses are pretty much on par with your income. And the reason why your expenses are so high is because you've been buying all these liabilities that you think you need. Now, what the rich do 
is that they build assets that help increase their income. They reduce their liabilities and end up with a huge deficit at the end of each month that they then use to buy more assets. And over the course of the time, the asset column just builds and builds and builds and builds. Their income statement goes up and up and up to the point where they no, no longer need any other forms of income, such as a job, because their assets are continually paying that, them that income. And they're financially free. They're financially independent. Now, the problem is with the, with the middle class and, and just hardworking people that don't build assets is that we continue to build liabilities. And even we even do that when our income goes up. I even said that at the start of the you know the podcast the introduction to this over the course of of time my income has gone up and yet it doesn't feel like my wealth has moved and that's because my liabilities continue to go up i got a bigger house we got nicer cars we bought more things and yet life didn't change we didn't ever feel better off because we just continued this cycle of of growing our expenses in line with our income and pretty much everyone does that you know everyone does that it's fairly common practice, but by reading the Rich Dad Poor Dad and understanding just the basic principles of why people just get into that situation and how potentially you can get out of it, that's really what probably changed my changed my complete view on personal finance and how to start growing wealth. And I was like, wow, people need to know this stuff. So here we are. This is the podcast. That's pretty much how I started to get into, into personal finance and building wealth. So now my sole goal is to just try and continue building my own asset column as much as I can. Don't get me wrong, some months it's easier to do than others, but the more you can focus on reducing them liabilities, building them assets, you can start to grow your wealth. So have a think, sit down, start making making a list of your own personal balance sheet. List what assets you've got, if you've got any. List your liabilities. Are there any that you can pay off? Are there any that you can get rid of? And then look at your income statement. Look at your salary coming in. Look at your expenses going out and see if there's anything you can start to free up. And then with that cash, what assets can you start to buy and start adding to your assets column? I've always said, and I'll say it again, but at the moment, until you can get to the point where your assets are paying your entire income, the best thing for you to do is continue to work hard at your job. You don't have to be completely financially independent in order to grow your, you know, to grow your assets. Work hard at your job, use that money wisely, pay off them high interest debts and start focusing on building your assets. Now the final point in the wealth journal this week from me is another book I've been reading called The Slight Edge. And this point I've just written next to it is journal. I've started keeping the wealth journal. I've been doing it for a while now. I've got quite a lot of notes in there. And it's been like a really sort of cathartic experience actually doing this. So my point is here is is I'm just recommending you guys do it as well. Writing down your thoughts on a daily, weekly basis does really help. It's really helped me sort of almost hone in on my goals, focus on areas that I want to develop, maybe process certain things that I've been thinking about whether they're, they're negative things or positive things, even with regards to, to me focusing on on this, this podcast, even this wealth journal, I found it a really useful experience. It's helped me just remember things a lot better. So yeah, keeping a journal. So that's everything from me this week. Um, apologies, it's been a bit all over the place today. I've had, I've had loads of notes this week that I just wanted to try and go through and get off my chest. Thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. And 
yeah, if there's any topics you want me to cover over the next few weeks, then send me a message. I've got a few things planned. I think I'm going to just talk a little bit about the stock market next week um, and then potentially cover some more asset classes like cryptocurrency is probably a big one. And then in the future, it would be great to get some guests on the podcast as well. I'm sure everyone's getting a little bit bored of just hearing me talk for 20 plus minutes. So yeah, that's the aim for, for me to try and do that as well. So yep. I guess um, it's probably perfect time to wrap things up. So this has been episode three of the Wealth Journal podcast with me, Jay Hardy. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week. Take care.